Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show 2.0. I'm your host, Marie Hewlett, and I know you've been anxiously awaiting the reboot of our program, and unfortunately I have laryngitis for this big day. Yeah, but it sure sounds cute. Oh, gee, thank you. And thank you to all of you for hanging in there while we redesigned our show. I think you're really going to enjoy our remodel. First, you may have noticed we have an all-new theme song written by my very handsome hubby, Jeffrey Isbell, who is joining the show behind the mic with me. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Well, I am your husband, and I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) Aw, and my lovely daughter is here, and she's also a fabulous vegan chef. Her name is Ariana Isbell, and she'll be sharing some great cruelty-free recipes with you each and every week. Hi, Ariana. Hi there. What's the name of the recipe you've got planned for us today? Well, I was thinking of making some vegan sushi. Ooh, that sounds delicious. I should have eaten before doing the show because now I'm just going to be thinking of your food the whole time we're recording. (sighs) Woe is me. And we're also going to be talking about some of the latest animal-related headlines, pet health, animal-related events, and, of course, the main thing the Pet Place is all about, animals in need of forever homes. Uh Jeff and Ari and I have selected a few amazing pets from local shelters and rescues that we're going to tell you all about. And we'll show them to you right here on the air. (laughs) Well, not exactly, but we hope that you'll help us find them loving families. But that's not all. Oh, boy. I sound like an as-seen-on-TV commercial. Now, now, we don't need the infomercial. (laughs) But But, seriously, that's not all. That's not all. (laughs) A little later in the show, we'll be speaking with Doug Poindexter from America's Family Pet Expo, which is coming to the Orange County Fairgrounds April 22nd to 24th. I love that show. Oh, I do, too. I've been doing it for many years, but not as many years as it's actually been there. It's the type of animal event that every pet lover would enjoy. So have your pad of paper and pen handy to write down all the details that will be coming up. Very soon. And you know what I really like about that show? I love the kind of people that come to it. I love the people we meet every year. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a pet place booth there. So come by and visit us. Yeah, definitely come by. Say hello. We'll also have Petey the parrot. He always makes his annual visit there. Killer parrot. Hey, but now (laughs) let's talk about animals in the news. Earlier this year, pet lovers everywhere were following Buddy, the Australian cattle dog, on his bucket list journey with his pet parent, Emily Mokin of Australia. Sadly, he passed away peacefully last week after his terminal cancer became too aggressive, but not before completing 49 of 50 of the items on his bucket list. His final wish was to help other animals, which will be posthumously completed on his behalf by donating all the toys and money he raised through his GoFundMe page to the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals in Australia. Mokin was extremely saddened by losing her friend, but she was glad some good came out of his adventures. When Buddy was diagnosed with lymphoma in January, doctors didn't think he'd live past the second week of March, but actually went on to live three more weeks and even got to celebrate his seventh birthday in a limo on March 8th, according to Mokin. Now, I understand his bucket list activities included playing in a ball pit, paw painting a canvas, 
sitting in a cop car, and, and I'd really like to know how they found out these were the things he wanted to do, <laughs> going to the beach and dressing up in fancy costumes. Moken said the bucket list really helped her stop from counting down the days till the end and focused her on the happy things she could do with Buddy. After Betty started limping this past Tuesday, his owner said her veterinarian told her he probably wouldn't be able to walk within 48 hours. Of course, that's the time that all pet parents dread, making the hardest decision ever. But she gave Betty the best of the best night she could before saying goodbye to him the next morning. They camped out on the floor with the A.C. as cold as possible, just the way he liked it, and the two of them played games all night. Though Moken said it's been really sad coming home now and not having Betty there excitedly greeting her, she said she's glad she at least had the wonderful memories from Betty's bucket list. Wow, isn't that how all animals should be treated, part of the family till the very end? That really makes me tear up. We're all a bunch of softies here, and I don't know how we'll get through a whole show if we keep telling stories like this. <laughs> let's, uh, uh, let's see what Ari's got for us. Well, unfortunately, my story isn't too much more lighthearted, but uh, I'm going to say it anyway. So, humane activists have been working to put an end to an annual summer dog meat festival in China. What? Yep, I know. Eating dogs, which has strained international relations and resulted in government intervention to combat this extreme cruelty to animals. The activists, for many different international humane organizations, said Monday that they will continue to apply pressure for an end to this practice, as well as encourage legislation outlawing the slaughtering of dogs and cats and the consumption of their meat. An estimated 10 to 20 million dogs are killed each year in China for their meat, and the upcoming summer festival has come to symbolize the cruelty of this practice. Yu Hong Mei, director of the V-Shine Animal Protection Association, said, China needs to progress with the times. Preventing cruelty to animals is a sign of a mature, civilized society. Chinese restaurant owners say eating dog meat is traditional during the summer, while opponents say that the festival, which began in 2010, has no cultural value and was merely invented to increase restaurant business. As many as 10,000 dogs many of them stolen pets still wearing their collars, are slaughtered for the festival, and some are trucked in hundreds of miles, jammed six or seven to a crate or small metal cage without food or water. Slaughtering takes place in front of other animals, usually with a club to induce the pain and fear that restaurant owners claim makes their adrenaline-rich meat tastier. But you know, the real tragedy about this is that People are so upset about dogs and cats, and they forget about other animals like cows, chickens, pigs, all of which are slaughtered inhumanely without a second thought. That, that's so true, Ariana. We, we all get outraged when we hear about people in other countries killing dogs and cats because we've assigned dogs and cats a special place in our culture when, in fact, cows and chickens and pigs are just as sentient if not more than dogs and cats. Absolutely, they all need love. And and they all are terrified when they get into the position of being slaughtered. And also the conditions that they're raised in are usually horrifying. I think more and more and more of that is coming to light with media exposure. And yet many of us still happily eat meat and, and don't think anything of it. It's like we all have blinders on. Mm-hmm. We want to be sensitive to... Uh... I mean, we're taught to be sensitive to the cultural differences that we find around us. 
but you have to draw a line where suffering and cruelty come into play. Absolutely. But then, as you guys say, uh, then we have to shine the light on ourselves because it's the same suffering and cruelty that we can't, we can't well, swallow, no pun intended, when it comes to dogs and cats, but it's the same suffering and cruelty that uh, other animals experience when they're slaughtered. Well, when you see meat neatly packaged in a grocery store, it's so far removed from the suffering that those animals went through. And people just absolutely refuse to associate those images with those grocery packages. That's so true. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. And it's no accident. Yeah, you're making us sound like a bunch of vegetarians. We're going to alienate people. (laughs) (laughs) We are a bunch of vegetarians. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we've we've been talking about some uh, pretty heavy things right now. Jeff, you think you can lighten it up just a bit? Yeah, well, I was just thinking how stupid people can be, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm bringing to the table the uh, stupid human story of the day. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it, maybe brave and stupid? Anyway, in Portland, Oregon, a male stole a two-foot-long ball python from a pet store <clears throat> by stuffing it down his pants. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many, that's a straight line for so many good jokes, but I'll just, I'll, I'll move along. Video surveillance has helped police detectives identify a suspect, and the pet store owners expects to have the snake return soon. I'm sorry, I started laughing, but I was imagining he'd be pretty easy to identify, especially if he wears tight pants. <laughs> the video shows the suspect taking the snake from a tank, pushing it into his pants, and shuffling out of the store. Oh, I bet that was quite the shuffle. <laughs> Well, the pet store owner agreed with me. He said it was pretty gutsy for the man to put a python down his pants. Mm-hmm. And potentially a bad move because it was close to feeding day. Oh. <laughs> On the other hand, the snake does like warm, dark places. <laughs> the local police have investigated thefts at pet stores, but this is the first time it has involved this crazy maneuver. A detective assigned to the case said, putting a snake down your pants is not super bright. <laughs> no kidding. <It's> not. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways, and I can think of at least two, that could have gone horribly wrong. Oh, boy. Okay. And on that note, let's check with Ariana in her kitchen. All right. Well, I think you're going to really love this one. As you already said, we're making sushi today, and I think that you'll think that it is delicious. Now, the great thing about sushi is that you have tons of options. It can be almost anything since the actual definition of sushi only requires that it be a tiny ball of rice with something on it. The first thing you'll want to do is stop by your local Asian market and pick up some short grain rice and rice wine vinegar. The flavor and texture of the rice are very important components of the sushi, so we have to be careful with how we cook it. So you're going to boil one cup of rice with one and three quarter cups of water. After it's done cooking, add a tablespoon of vinegar and a teaspoon of sugar. Spread the rice out on a cutting board so there is more exposed surface area and fan that rice like Cleopatra. This stuff sounds silly, I know, but it's actually very, very important. Cooling the rice quickly gives it a shiny finish and helps it stick to itself in a more attractive fashion. The next thing you need to do is decide what kind of nori or seaweed you want to wrap around the rice. I had an ant nori. 
Jess, I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think she said Nori. You had an aunt Nora. Oh, yeah, Nora, Nori. I thought it was the same. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No worries, right. Or so. Is this the same uh, sushi you made us a couple of weeks ago? It is. It's the exact same sushi, the same recipe. You know, it doesn't. Oh, it's, not, it's not just delicious. It, it looks exactly like sushi. Well, thank you. Well, it looks like restaurant-quality sushi. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know a person just like a... Well, anyway, go you ahead. You just need all the tools, right, Ari? Yeah. That's right. You you know, you can pick up a lot of this stuff really easily from the supermarket, and some of it you can work out with things that you might already have in your house. Oh, cool. So as I was saying, you can get different kinds of nori, which are seaweeds. You can get traditional, which is Japanese sushi nori, and that's plain, lightly salted, a little bit denser. Or you can go with Korean nori, which is thinner, and I'd say a little bit more flavorful. Now, I personally prefer Korean nori when I make sushi, but the downside of it is that it doesn't have very much structure to it and it can easily tear. So if you go with that option, you'll need to be very careful when slicing your rolls because you don't want the outside to tear. Should you use a very sharp knife? Absolutely. Very sharp, very thin. Okay. A lot of Japanese chefs actually use ceramic knives, which I find work very well. Oh, okay. Good tip. Thanks. Of course. So once you've made your rice and you have your seaweed... It's time to get creative. You can put anything that strikes your fancy inside a sushi roll. But a few of my favorites include avocado, cucumber, ground up edamame, and carrots. Just make sure that anything that you put inside is small enough, thin enough, or smooshed up enough to get rolled. Now, if you have a bamboo sushi mat, that's great. But most people, I'm going to guess, probably don't. And so what we can use instead is a very thin dish towel. But just make sure it's one that you don't mind getting messy and that you can wash because there's probably going to end up being some rice on it. So lay the nori on the mat and spread the rice very thinly over the entire surface. On one side, add your preferred ingredients in a single stripe and then begin rolling the side with the filling inward until you get to the end of the seaweed and then rest the roll on the seam where it closed so that the moisture will help seal it all together. That way it won't come apart. Is that hard to do? It does take a little bit of getting used to, but I think after you roll two or three rolls, then you'll probably get the hang of it. Now, should you make them small? Is it easier to, to manage them when they're small, or can you make them big and fat, or do they become unruly when they're fat? Well, they the width changes depending on how much rice that you use, and I think it's definitely easier to do a very thin thin layer of rice when you're rolling because otherwise the nori has a little bit harder time sticking and it has a lot higher tendency to just open up, which you really don't want. And I think it's probably a little easier to eat them in the end too when they're a little bit smaller and that's, bite size. That's very true because in Japanese culture, when you're eating sushi, you're supposed to eat each tiny roll in one single bite. You, you pick up one and then you put it in your mouth and you eat it. So you don't want to have to have the people who are eating your sushi take bites out of it because uh, that wouldn't be very appropriate. Okay, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> so you are going to just repeat this process with all of your different fillings and slice them into three quarter inch pieces with the thinnest, sharpest knife that you have. And this is very important. You have to be very careful when you're cutting. Do long, not sawing motions, but long, thin slices to really get a good cut. And voila, you have sushi. Now, you could stop right there and eat it, but I really enjoy adding finishing touches because you can sprinkle the top with 
sesame seeds or you can I like grill that. yeah mm-hmm. the sesame seeds that are really nice toasty flavor or you could grill onions and tomatoes and lay them over the top. And I like to do that because although the flavors aren't necessarily traditional for sushi, they really give the appearance of fish. And since we're not going to be eating them in sushi, one of the big aspects of sushi is to try and make it look beautiful. This is a great substitute for giving it that look. And of course, no animals were harmed in the making of this dish. Of course. <laughs> thanks for listening. Okay, Ari, thanks a lot. I was hungry earlier in the show, and now I'm even hungrier after listening to your recipe. So. You said this was going to be cruelty-free, but I'm suffering. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to change the subject fast. How about if we call Doug Poindexter now at Pet Expo? Oh, oh yeah. good idea. We'd like to welcome Doug Poindexter to the show. Doug, how you doing? I'm doing great. When exactly is the Pet Expo this year? Coming up April 22nd to the 24th at the Orange County Fair and Event Center. That'll be great. How many years have you been involved in the show? Since its beginning. So I actually started working for WPA in uh, 1990 after the first show, but I was actually an exhibitor in the first show. I, uh, I owned a pet store at the time. And I actually exhibited it the first show in 1990 and then came to help them with it later that year and have actually run the shows starting in 1991 and, and still seem to keep my finger in it somehow. If you did a just a kind of an overview, how has it changed over the years? Well, it's gotten a lot bigger. <laughs> Um, there's a lot more, um, a lot more exhibitors and, and attendees, but it's, it's, it's purpose was always to try to educate the public on responsible pet care. So our goal was to try to have as many different groups there that could talk about their specific, uh, species of animal, whether it's the 80 or 90 dog breed clubs that are there or the 60 adoption agencies that are there that are adopting out animals over the three days, whether it's a bird club or a fish club or a reptile group or a Pot-bellied pig group, or whatever the case might be, and this year with with these new kind of mini farm animals we've got that are there, like mini pigs and mini rabbit, and um, mini donkeys, mini cattle, mini sheep, mini dairy goats, any of those kinds of things, almost any kind of domestic animal you can think of. We want the experts there to be able to tell them exactly what's required of, of someone to take care of these animals for the life of the animal, so they don't end up back in a shelter or someplace worse. You know, it sounds like the show has a really great mission. Did I hear you right? Did you say, so this is the 27th year? Yes. Uh, that's just amazing. Uh, do you know what the attendance was last year? Last year we had about 45,000 people attend over the three days. Wow. And uh, if, 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 if the weather uh, weather holds and uh, we got great weather, uh, we're hopeful we'll be able to do those kinds of numbers again this year. It's um, that's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 a really fun. It's a it's just a great fun day for the family to come out. I mean, there's all the entertainment between the police dog demonstrations and the agility dogs to the free flight bird show and a cat show and a building of reptiles, a building of aquatics and fish of all kinds and the animal adoptions and the pony rides and all of those things that are there. It, it's really a fun day. And we work hard on this all year round. And sometimes you know, there are days when anybody's job, they go, what am I doing? And then you show up at the show and you see some kid walk in that's never seen a goat or you see somebody that's, you know, 
uh, just the interaction with the animals and see how that brightens someone's day and the smiles on their faces. Uh, you tell you, oh yeah, that's why we're doing this. Is animals bring so much to everybody's lives. Um, you know, I've been blessed to always have a dog of some sort or another in my life. You know, so I don't I, I don't know what it's like not to have one, and I wouldn't want to experience it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. How many pets were adopted last year? And I don't have the exact number. It was over 600, but I, I don't know that we reached 700 last year. That's always kind of a target we set for ourselves, uh, between six and 700, and I know we hit that last year. About I think it's six, about 60 agencies I heard that'll be there this year, uh, different groups that will be adopting out animals. And, oh, that's you know, fantastic news. What kind of animals that are there, we don't know that until they actually show up each day because, obviously, if they have an opportunity to find a home tomorrow for... Uh, a dog, they're not going to hold it to bring it to Pet Expo. They're going to find a home and get it in that home as soon as they possibly can. So it's just kind of one of those things where because we occasionally get calls and, and we can't answer them, unfortunately, is so will there be any of this or will there be any of that in the adoptions? Well, we just don't know because they don't know what they're going to have until they go to pick it up that morning and bring them in as to what didn't get adopted the day before or whatever the case might be. So And yet with the number of animals that are there every year, I... <laughs> It, you're, you're probably pretty safe saying there's almost everything. There's a little bit of everything, certainly. Uh, you know, I mean, my daughter one year uh, was there, and there was a standard poodle, and she adopted a standard poodle. So, I mean, you know, you can get all kinds of different things um, that, that can be there. So it's just, um, but it is catch as catch can and, and, uh, and what's available, and, and we just want to make sure we find forever homes for these guys so that forever homes, they don't yeah. have to spend any more time in, them, in any of these agencies. Do you know whether any one of the days is uh, the most crowded or the least crowded? I the remember. The least crowded. Um, you know, people. Some people have jobs, um, <laughs> and they, they actually have to go to work on a Friday. But um, so Friday is, is definitely the least crowded of the two days. And then Saturday and Sunday, over the years, it's kind of gone. You know, I'm never sure which one's going to be the bigger day. They're very close in uh, attendance. Uh, one year Saturday all went out. The next year Sunday all went out. But they're, you know, they are very, very busy on Saturday and Sunday. I mean, there are days when it's tough to walk through all the halls at any type of a quick pace. You're slowed by the crowds, but everybody's having a good time, so that's good. You know, it's such a great family event. What's the cost for the show? Adults are $13. Seniors between 60 and above are $11. Children 6 to 12 are 8 and 5 and under are free. Well, I, I'm not going to try to encourage you to raise the price, but, I mean, that's crazy. People can go for the whole day for, the, for that one small amount. Where can you find yeah, something we, like we that? Think it's a pretty, we think it's a pretty good value. Um, I know the fairgrounds does charge for parking, so there's a parking fee there as well, and I'm not sure what they're charging this year, but that's all up to them that we don't have any. Unfortunately, we have no say in that, but... It's still a, a pretty um, economical way to spend a great day interacting with a lot of fun people and animals. Are there? Uh... You know, and then there's lots of product there. I mean, well, the other thing that's so great is that whether you, you know whether you're looking for some four-year animal or something to reflect your love of animals that, that is for you to wear or have. There's you know there's hundreds of exhibitors there that are that have all kinds of different products and services available. There are some really interesting products there. Some of them are just kind of vaguely related to pets, but yet they are they're appropriate to be there. I remember some uh, natural soaps and things like that that are uh, great for the sensitive skin of some of the pets. Right. Are there, yeah, we uh, try to be very careful that we try to make sure that whoever is exhibiting in some fashion is bringing something that helps the 
the public uh, in keeping their pets. Uh, and sometimes people may wonder, you know, well, what are they doing here? But if they can offer a service that helps, and we have a couple of pet door manufacturers there, that, and, and, you know, they also do windows and doors of all kinds, but mm-hmm. they're there with their dog doors because of, you know, you can dog doors so that they, you know, you can find those kinds of things. So it's. I love the vendors yeah. that I see there. I think you guys do a great job on the vendors that you pick. It's fantastic. I was wondering about online ticket sales. Are we are we doing that? Yeah, you, you can buy tickets online. The price is the same. And I know Ticketmaster charges a little service charges and little middling things that they charge, that unfortunately, that for, for buying tickets online. But it does save you having to get in line and buy it there. You can just walk up to the entry point and scan your uh, ticket and, and walk in. So That's you fantastic. can get those at, at Pet Expo. OC.org, O-R-G. So uh, okay. tickets are available there. Complete schedules should be up there by now and uh, layout of the grounds and where everything is so people can get a lot more information from uh, from that location, from PetExpoOC.org. PetExpoOC.org. Correct. Well, thank you very much. We're going to enjoy seeing you there. And we invite everybody to come on out to the Pet Family Pet Expo and have Enjoy a great time. time. And uh, we'll stop by and say hi while, we're, while you're there. Okay. Sounds good, Doug. That was Doug Poindexter from America's Family Pet Expo. Pet Expo does a great job promoting pet adoptions from shelters and rescues. But we have a few pets that we'd like to bring to your attention that need homes. So grab your pad of paper and a pen again to jot down this information. Let's start with Max the Pug, who is almost two years old. Max is hilarious. He's got an underbite that is so cute. He and his sister Maya were outside dogs, unfortunately, and their previous owners surrendered them to rescueme.org. He's a very good dog, loves human attention and being able to lay on the couch. Max is crate trained because that's where he slept at night, outside in his previous home, but I'm sure he would love to cuddle in bed with a human. Max is also potty trained. However, there are no guarantees, and everyone who adopts a pet needs to teach their new family member all the rules of the new home. He loves going for walks and does not bark at other dogs. Max would be best suited with a family who likes to play, has a yard to play in, and a family who enjoys puggy love. As a pug, Max is supposed to be an indoor dog. Please be aware of the breed if you are interested in adopting this gorgeous young man. Max is neutered, chipped, and up to date on all his shots. He will come with starter food, medical records, and lots and lots of love and kisses. If you are interested in adopting Max, please visit dog.rescueme.org slash California. Wonderful. Jeff, you have one too, don't you? Oh, I sure do. For those of you interested in the classic German Shepherd, or as Marie likes to say, the best dog there is, here's a beauty from German Shepherd Rescue of Orange County. Nicola is a petite 16-month-old girl who lost her home through no fault of her own due to unexpected family health issues. Heartbroken, the family asked GSROC to find her a new home. Nicola is a gorgeous girl filled with energy and fun. She lived with small children in her home and liked to play with them. The family has told us she gets along well with dogs of all sizes, but she does not like cats. That's kind of typical. Typical. (laughs) Nicola is housebroken and has had some training. She attended her first adoption event and was the center of attention. She gets along well with the other dogs and likes to play. She is a petite sweetheart, perfect for a condo or townhouse. 
This girl is confused about the changes in her circumstances and would do so much better in a foster home. She is used to being around people and she misses them. For more information on Nicola, visit gsroc.org. And our final pet today is Bob from the Irvine Animal Care Center. I have to promote Bob because I fell in love with him during the taping of our last television show, Irvine Pets and Company, which you can watch at PetPlace.org. Bob was one of the kitties we featured, and he is awesome. He is a gigantic black cat, and when I say gigantic, I mean picture a black jaguar gigantic. (laughs) Oh, my. Well, maybe not quite that big, but he is huge. When he sits in your lap, you cannot see your legs at all. (laughs) And he is so affectionate. He's been at the shelter almost two months because I think people are intimidated by his size. But honestly, he is a big pushover. He's got emerald green eyes, a shiny black coat, and he loves being brushed, too. He came from another shelter through Irvine's Third Chance Program. That's the program where the staff and volunteers from Irvine go to high-kill shelters and bring pets who are on their last day over to Irvine, and then they continue efforts to find forever families. So Bob needs you. For more information about Bob, visit www.irvineshelter.org and click on the Adoptable Pets button. Well, I think that's it for our show today. Did you guys have a good time? Oh, absolutely. I had a and great we hope time. you all enjoyed it too. Yeah, definitely. And we'll be back next week with more animals, more news, more animal friendly recipes, and fun pet related events. To find out more about the pet place, visit us online at www.petplace.org or at facebook.com slash petplace radio. Have a great week. Bye.